The gorgeous Kelly Horton joins us today, occupational therapist, specialist with kids on the spectrum and with anxiety. Kelly joins us for the second time on Good Health Radio. Welcome back, Kelly. Hello, and I'm glad to be back. Thank you. It's good to have you. Now, today I'm quite looking forward to talking to you about transitions. So I just realized today that I don't transition very well from getting up to being functional. Is that a transition? Yes. So (laughs) transitions are everywhere. They're everywhere every day, depending on your capacity, whether the transition is subconscious or conscious, I guess. With a lot of my clients, day-to-day transitions, weekend to weekday, especially if they're in school or work. And then there's, you know, you've got your little transitions between tasks, within tasks, between steps, or you've got the big ones between terms, between years. For me, I get quite excited, but it's still a transition going into Christmas and then out of Christmas and then into Easter. So yeah, transitions are everywhere. Yeah, that's really interesting because I hadn't really thought about it properly until I was prepping to speak to you today Mm -hmm. where transitions are. And I think for myself too, coming out of this COVID we have had in Victoria, I am stressed about going into the car out of the driveway of the house. Yeah. So... I'm thinking about these kids that have anxiety that are on the spectrum. So for them that have been at home for long periods of time, what sort of transitions are they going to be looking at now moving forward? I guess it also depends on how they've managed during this COVID period too, especially in Melbourne um, with our heavy restrictions in place. Some of them are thriving being at home, not having to transition into the school day at the physical environment every day. Others are actually really struggling and they need to get back to school and they need the structure and they like the transition from home to school because I switch off from home and I switch into my school mode, and especially if they're good masking people. But, yeah, I think generally this transition back into our COVID normal reality or whatever we want to call it is going to be really difficult in general. We don't even know what it's going to look like still. We seem to watch the news every day to find out what it's going to look like and even then we're not sure. And I'm finding it already just with the new announcement yesterday around schools and year seven now going back next week, but eight to tens aren't going to go back until the end of October. The amount of emails that have come through and said, oh, my God, what's it going to look like? You know, these a lot of these children haven't been to school since March. If they went back, they went back for three weeks. So this is a bigger transition than what we would normally see between uh, Christmas and going back to school because that's only, what, eight weeks, nine weeks? These kids have been at school at home for months. So trying to get them back into an environment that they're unfamiliar with and with all these new rules is going to be a huge transition, but an important one too because I think if they weren't going to send children back in Melbourne to school at all this term, not only would we be trying to get back to -to face-to-face school next year, we'd also be doing a year-to-year transition. So, yeah, I've I've got my work cut out in the next couple of weeks, prepping, and as you said, and parents, not just the children, Mm -hmm. because, you know, your sleep cycles, your morning routine, getting up, having breakfast, probably having a lot more family time in the morning, talking before the first WebEx or whatever starts at 9 o'clock is very different to getting out of the out of the house by 8am into a car and then having all these new rules about pick up and drop off and mask wearing and everything else around that. So it, it's going to be a huge transition. 
So, yeah, I can hear so many different parts of the transitions too. <laughs> so thinking about the transition for me, I have a grade three and a grade five. And yep. just to get ready in the morning for a certain time at the moment is like totally foreign. So how do you suggest we break it down? So I would always start at planning and prepping it and practicing it. So don't just wait for the morning of and say, right, we've had a bit of a chat. I think we need it at this time. We'll see how we go. Um, I think it, it's great, say, this week we can – the week before we can jump in and start practicing and getting up and seeing how long things take because you've we've been in such a different routine for so long how quickly we're going to get ready is going to be very different to what it was like back in February too because we've got this new way of life so I think practicing and coming back to visuals writing things down whether it's pictures or words uh, photos on the iPads depending on the level of the child's capacity and understanding too. But visuals are huge. And I always say, you know, the visuals are for the kids, but really it's for the adult to be consistent and for them to follow too. Because if I have a big visual in the kitchen for the children, the parents are kept on track and in check as well. So I think that helps for the whole family. Totally. And I feel anxiety just about thinking about getting them ready for school in the morning. So there's going to be me contributing to their experience of the day. So now what about getting to school? So it's going to be, I think it's going to be nuts. All these kids getting dropped off. Parents aren't allowed to go in the school grounds. So what are your recommendations for that? And especially private school, um, I think with these younger ones, you know, dropping at the gates, I'm hearing the new rule is too. And that some of these preppies that have only been there for what, a month or two, probably some of them not even full time, they're going to have to find their own classroom and all that sort of thing again. So asking the school for a social story so they know what to expect and they can follow it and you can print that off and have it in their little hands as well so they can walk into the school and follow their little step-by-step. It only has to be, you know, even three steps just so they can check off. I think also maybe even negotiating, especially if your child has additional disabilities, um, whether they've got diagnosis or just generalised anxiety, setting off an email and touching base with the school and maybe even negotiating a start, a slightly different start time. So if we know that, you know, school starting at nine o'clock and the big rush is around court two, nine, do we look at is there someone, a staff member that's available just so that the child can come into the school at 8.30, put their bag near the, the door or whatever the plan is at the school, and then they're on the play equipment waiting for their friends. That could help. Or the other end, depending on how the child transitions into the classroom. Some kids don't like walking in when everyone's already on the floor or settled into the classroom. But for some kids saying, you know what, we're not going to try to get there by 9 o'clock. We're going to come in at quarter past 9 because um, we have someone meet us at the office and they can walk in just before or after the instructions are being introduced and then the child can be told one-on-one what's happening and they can settle in in a lot calmer way. So it depends on the child, but I definitely think sending off a quick email as soon as possible to the school. Or even if you think transition's going to go okay and we're just going to jump in and we're going to see what happens, communicate with the school because... The way the child presents and hides can be very different to what the child's actually feeling. So they do rely on the parents communicating with the teachers because otherwise the teachers won't change if they don't know it's not working. 
Yeah, something that you've said before that your physical disability is seen. So it has to be seen to be believed is the saying. Mm. So this disability of autism and anxiety, they are unseen and we can't even, especially with my kids, I can't even assess what's going on until they've well and truly passed the point of return. And they're great kids, good kids and want to do the right thing, but it's just inside and it's just what happens. So with that, with the transitions around anxiety, if they are feeling stressed, overwhelmed in the morning with emotion, what are your suggestions? Do they need to stay the whole day? If you get them there a bit late, can you pick them up a bit early? Like, is that reasonable to ask of the school or is that being a bit unreasonable? Yeah, and I think that's a really important thing to talk about with a school, reasonable and unreasonable. It's unreasonable to say that my child's going to turn up and pick flowers and do gardening all day. That's how we're going to transition in. The school's going to look at you and think, you're probably nuts. Um, but, and you know, when I said, oh, we're going to turn up a little bit late, we're talking 15 minutes. We're talking just that morning, that time. You know, I think that's quite reasonable to negotiate. Turning up at 11 o'clock is probably unreasonable, one, because they're going to miss out on a big chunk and everyone's settling in and all the friendship groups start to mingle. But two, I'm a massive advocate of if you do want to scatter your child's return to school whether it's because of COVID or whether it's just a, a, a typical transition between years or terms, scheduling shorter days is great. It gives them a break, whether it's every day or just, you know, Wednesday afternoon in the middle of the week. We're going to reward you for trying so hard. You get to go home at lunchtime. I think it's really important to get a student to school every single morning because that morning routine starts your day and we know how hard it is Um going from the weekend to a weekday. So if we give them a reward and say, oh, you can have Thursday off, well, you might as well throw a whole week in because now a weekend in because now Friday is a massive flip over day and that's a whole different routine. So it is important to try if you can get them to school every day and if they're not coping to shorten those days. But morning routine is very important. We're talking to Kelly Horton on Good Health Radio about transitions, getting back to school between year levels and between terms. So, Kel, I was just thinking too, you talked about that the strategies for transition aren't just for working on the transition, they're for before and they're for after. Mm. Now, for transitions that are confronting and challenging for kids, like maybe like just even getting to school, what, what would that look like for before and after as well? Yeah, so again, it's very individualised and you'd have to work with each family and and child independently. But generally speaking about transitions, it's a lot. I get a lot of the comments a lot of the time saying, oh, no, I don't want to talk to my child about school too early or camp that's coming up too early because I'll I'll build their anxiety and, and, you know, I don't want it to build up and make it worse. And it's, well, it's actually made it worse because it's, it's the transition. It's that unknown. And yes, we may, if we talk about it three weeks prior, yes, they're going to show a lot of anxiety three weeks out, but imagine how much work we can do in reducing that anxiety by the time the activity comes and they might actually enjoy it more. So I think the general rule of thumb for me for transition between years, so, you know, at the end of the year to the start of the new school year, I would start that transition sometime in term four. For some students, it has to start at the end of term three if they need more time. Some, it's, you know, it's the last couple of weeks of term four, others at the start of term four. So, and it's just a matter of the timelines will determine based on how much information this child needs to manage the transition. 
So going through what's going to be the same, what's going to be different, walking through the new environment. So especially in high schools, when they're moving buildings, you know, your sevens are in one building, your eights are in another, that sort of thing. Um, if it's between primary school and high school, doing a few visits to the high school. Whereas if you're in a primary school and you're in a, a composite class, you're in a similar classroom, similar building, there might be less uh, sessions in terms of OT required. Setting up an All About Me letter is a really nice way to, one, we reflect on the year, you know, what do I like, what do I dislike, what strategies have worked for me this year, uh, what's worked well. But it's also a nice way to do a one-page summary to introduce the child to the new teacher. And again, depending on the child's capacity, it's something that I like the child to actually hand over to their new teacher so they know this is the information my teacher, out of everything, knows. And I make sure that the children have access to that and read through it and they can add their picture or some teachers get extra pictures, like Pokemon or whatever they're into, <laughs> Minecraft. Uh, and, it's just, and it's a nice way to start the rapport between the two of them as well. So we, we're a big advocate about that rapport building because that's what's going to get the student into their classroom on that first day of next year. I'm actually really interested on your opinion, Kel, about mm -hmm. how you feel our kids on the spectrum with anxiety and in general are going to cope with the, the big change. I took my kids to the okay date in the park, like an allowed date. They played for one hour with one friend and they were exhausted. What do you think we could do to support our kids more in this transition? Well, see, the old naive OT me would jump in and say, oh, throw them rewards, give them, you know, lots of rewards and praise and you'll be right. But what I'm noticing too, and I, and I think I mentioned this last time we spoke, was while I've been in COVID doing a lot more learning too, is PDA profile, so pathological demand avoidance, is actually showing up a lot in children with autism. Mm. So they may not um, be diagnosed with PDA specifically it's still quite unknown in Australia but around autism PDA is quite common and rewards and praises don't always work so I think it's important that it just in general regardless of autism or PDA without complicating it is just because rewards and praise work for the majority of people with autism it doesn't mean it's always going to work so it's it's great if their anxieties are fairly low and they can push through those barriers rewards can be quite beneficial but if their anxiety is so high um, that it's literally stopping them I would actually go back to the transition and work on the before break it down google the map of the park let's talk about where we're going to sit stand when you get to the park this is you know you're out this is your break spot this is your quiet space and sometimes obviously parks at the moment are very chaotic and very mm. busy because we're all excited in Melbourne it's the only thing we're allowed to get out and do without getting a fine but you know carrying a book so as soon as they put that book up in their face that could be their physical barrier of a quiet space of blocking out um snacks drinks that gives them if they're older than 12 especially gives them a break from the mask wearing putting a picnic blanket down that you sit on it gives them a physical barrier because generally people aren't going to come and sit on your mat or walk across your mat so just trying to think of those barriers to support your child and what what strategies do they use at home that we can utilize in the park but we set it up naturally we don't you know 
turn up and you're not going to have a fence around you. Um, but that's that's where, you know, a picnic blanket can provide that and explaining to the children of that's what we're doing and this is what I'm going to do to help you. And noise cancelling headphones. I think they're a great one. Okay. So I'm feeling quite overwhelmed. Oh, my God. I've got so much to learn because we rocked up at the park and my daughter was like, there's too many people here. And there was like 20 people there. And I thought, oh, my God, how is she going to go at school, the poor thing? So the same, same thing at school, making sure that um, you you rediscuss and, and, and she's probably had it. Possibly she naturally might have found her quiet space, reminding her, you know, what did you do when you were at school last time back in March? Where did you play? What did you like? Why didn't you play here? Where was your quiet space? What do you do here? So reminding them of what their strategies were, um, that will really help get, that's part of all that transition talk and getting them prepared to go back to school. And it might be at the start, she needs all this written down or in a visual as a reminder. Might not even look at it, but as soon as you write things down, you might remember it a lot longer and yeah. refer to it. Yeah, that's really interesting. So in terms of transitioning for our kids then into secondary school, I mean, grade sixes this year have hardly been at school. They're going to have one term. So Mm. do you have specific recommendations for transitioning into secondary school for these kids? Well, the easy answer is yes, but COVID restrictions is going to um, complicate things because normally – I would be a massive advocate of let's do lots of tours, let's go visit the school, you know, maybe we can speak to the school or we can turn up after school at four o'clock or something and just walk around the grounds or meet a teacher, doing all those things. But with COVID restrictions, it's not that easy anymore. So I think it's going to come back to possibly more of those meetings um, online. So I think phone calls don't necessarily work for children on the spectrum or anyone on the spectrum a lot of the time because they like they need to see that face and that that visual um some people like to hide behind the phone but i think so if you're going to have meetings with school and maybe we could have one of the aides facetime the tours around the schools but they really need to get familiar with the environment um where things are how long it's going to take and another one which again we don't know what restrictions are going to be like in melbourne in january but visiting the school before the year sevens all go back. So I know the year sevens, most schools would go back the day before um, the rest of the school start just so that they can set up their lockers and, and have the school for t- 24 hours prior to the chaos. But I actually get a lot of my clients to go in even before that and they set up their locker and they set up all their books and talk to the teachers about what's happening on the first day because then they're at least one step ahead because they're already a couple of steps behind socially So while everyone's setting up their lockers and they've already done it, they might be able to offer help to somebody else. And it's a nice way to make a friend. And it's a nice way to actually, for the first time, maybe feel like you know one step ahead rather than always trying to chase others. And it's the same, again, I don't know what high schools are doing this term because normally they would have transition days where the grade sixes go and visit their new school. And again, if a child on the, has autism, I would suggest that they go and practice that day before that day happens, so the week before. So I'll meet up with the aides and we go through what's going to happen on that transition day with all the new year sevens in the December. But I don't know if that's actually happening this year. 
Yeah, well, um, we'll have to like. Don't know schools know that yet? <laughs> no, I guess that's when we play by ear. But that's a question I have too about AIDS. So, if your child has a diagnosis and it is in primary school, do mm-hmm. you need funding from the government to have access to the AIDS in secondary school? Yes, you have to reapply. So, majority of your funding, generally, if you've got funding in primary school, it goes until grade six with a few exceptions. Although, in saying that, a lot of my clients don't even qualify for funding, which is quite sad. Um, it makes things difficult, but yeah, you see, you have to be, you have to reapply for funding in high school, and there's different levels and access. But sometimes children will go to high school, and the gap can get bigger when they hit high school for a number of reasons, socially and, and academically. So it can be that the school builds some evidence in that first year in year seven, and then they apply for special exemption, and there'll be states and so forth that they have to meet. But I think. Regardless of funding, it's really important to find a school that's going to put in reasonable adjustments based on the child's individual needs, regardless of disability or diagnosis. So all children are, are going to find it hard at times and, and need some sort of adjustment. So if you find a school that's flexible and suits your child and your family, I think you should be able to get some sort of reasonable adjustments, regardless of funding. Awesome. Kelly Horton is available at Beyond the Book Therapy. She is awesome. In the last interview, I pretended that we had this amazing OT where we do and it's her. So if you want to contact her, go for that. Kelly, I was just wondering, do you have a quote that you'd like to share with us? I do, actually. I I actually live by a couple of quotes. But one of the ones that I've been focusing on of late is one from Oprah Winfrey. Be thankful for what you have. You'll end up having more. If you concentrate on what you don't have, you'll never, ever have enough. And this really resonates with me because I've been doing a lot of webinars and reading around the Resilience Project, which are a fabulous Melbourne-based organisation. And that's exactly what their main focus is on. It's all about appreciating what you have and what you're grateful in the now. And then you'll just naturally give off those vibes to everybody else. So I think it's really important, not only for our own mental health, but for everyone else around us, especially during these times. That's great. I love that one. Do you have another one? You yeah. said you had a couple. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, well, the one that I always do is um, if you're given lemons, make lemonade. But that's probably not <laughs> as wisdomatic as what we need. Is that even a word? Um, it is now. Which leads me, into, leads me into the next one. I don't know who this quote come from, but I have seen that a smart person knows what to say. A wise person knows whether or not to say it. And I think this one is really interesting, especially with the talks that we have all around school and and supports and advocating. You know, parents know what their children need. They know what they need to do or say. But a lot of the time it's that confidence in knowing when and how and what to say. So building a team around you, it doesn't have to be therapists or professionals. It can be a friend, your partner, you know, a family member, but having somebody there because when you're stressed, words don't exactly come out the way you might want them to and then people misunderstand it and you can get frustrated and not say anything at all. And if you're a huge advocate for your child, you may also need someone to help you just make sure you're getting your message across so that we can get the best supports out there for your children as well. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Kelly. I have been enlightened. I hope Australia has had some beneficial words of wisdom there from Kelly. And we are looking forward to having Kelly on in the future too for different things. So thank you so much, Kel.
No worries at all, and I'll uh, speak to you soon. Thank you. You are on Good Health Radio with Kylie Roger, and we will be back after this break.